listening to sermons from South Point Locust Grove, where we are equipping the family of God for the mission of God, to see everyone around us transformed by the gospel of Jesus. For more information, please visit southpoint.org. If there is a God, which one is he? There's so many different religious systems that have an idea of God. There's uh, the gods of mythology, the gods of nations, the gods of our own making. And in fact, uh, some of us sometimes on occasion stand in front of the mirror and think that we're God. So if there is a God, where is he and what is he like? Um, I think the unique thing about the God that we proclaim here on a regular basis is that he has revealed himself to us in his word. But not only do we have his word, but he has revealed his character, his nature. He has revealed uh, uh, himself, his name, and he's revealed himself in such a way that he wants us to get to know him personally. And as we go through the I am statements, these are essentially statements that are rooted in Exodus 3.14 where uh, you've heard me say it before. Moses was fixing to go and talk to Pharaoh. Moses and nobody in the middle of the desert going to Pharaoh, the leader of the known world at the time. He's going to walk into Pharaoh and say, there are two million people out here that are the people of God. And I'm going to command you based on the authority of this guy that told me to come and tell you to let them go, let my people go. And Pharaoh's going to say, who are you? And I think, I think he knew who Moses was. But who has sent you to make such a demand? And God told Moses, he said, tell them that I am has sent you. This is the personal name for God. This is Yahweh. This is the God who is going to respond to his people that are in trouble. This is the God who is going to be present not only with Moses and reveal himself to the people of God, but also to the enemies of God through these plagues. The I am, the God who is present, the God who is with you, the God who wants you to know him, the God who knows you, the God who has heard you crying out is this God that has revealed himself to us. When we come, come to the Gospel of John, Jesus seven times makes these seven statements to further help us understand who he is when he says, I am. And so as we go through these I am statements, we find ourselves this morning in John chapter 10. Jesus is proclaiming that he is God when he says, I am. But he says, I am God. And what is God like? I am the bread of life. I am the bread that gives life. What is God like? I am the light of the world. There is darkness apart from me. But where I am, there is light. There is understanding. You don't, you don't have to live in ignorance. I give life. I am the door. We saw that in John chapter 10, verses 1 to 10. I am the way in. I am the way out. There is no other way to to protection. There is no other way to provision. I am the shepherd that lays down at the door. And if you know me, you know the door. You know the way in. You know the way out. You're not stuck in these four walls, hitting your head against the wall, trying to figure things out. Just look at me. I'll take you in. I'll take you out. I'll protect you. I'll provide for you. And then this morning, we see in our text very clearly where Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. Just briefly, context. We're going back to uh, this woman that was taken in adultery, and there is the response of the Pharisees, and there's the response of Jesus. We come to, in John chapter 9, this man who is blind and given sight. We see the response of the Pharisees and the response of Jesus. When Jesus comes to John chapter 10, he's trying to paint as clear a picture as he can to show the stark contrast between the, the leadership of the religious leaders of this day, which would be the Pharisees, and himself. And this is important for us to understand because we have to make that distinction between those who would say that they're religious leaders. We would need to make that distinction between those who say they speak for and represent God for those who say we are coming from the Word of God. Jesus is making it very clear. And I want to say this up front. From the I Am statements, Jesus is not asking us to please him. Don't miss that. 
Because many walk in here today either feeling really good about themselves because the Lord is pleased or feeling really bad about themselves because the Lord is not. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. And what does he say? Now you go please me. He says, no. You follow me. Big difference. Big difference. More holiness, more goodness, right? More blessing will flow from your life when you are living to, uh, from a place of pleasing him than if you are living, sorry, got myself mixed up there. When you are living from a place of trusting him than when you are living from a place of pleasing him. It is in trusting him that he is pleased. It's not in your efforts or my efforts to say, I feel like a piece of dirt. I feel like, uh, I feel terrible. I feel shame. I feel guilt. I feel grief because I know God's not happy with me when he never told you to please him. He told you to follow him in all of these I am statements. Come and follow me. So understand that, that context. He's comparing himself between these religious people that are saying, you're not doing enough to please God when Jesus is saying, I'm not asking you to please me anyway. I'm asking you to follow me. I'm asking you to follow. I'm asking you to trust me. I'm asking you to trust me. Let's read the text together. John chapter 10, beginning in verse 11. I love short passages. He says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Contrast, verse 12. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. Jesus says it again. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, I lay down my life for the sheep. Second time he said that. I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. What is Jesus saying? I am a unifier. I bring people together. I am pursuing people. I'm calling people in. 17. For this reason, the Father loves me, because, third time, I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I received from my father. Verse 19, there was, again, a division among the Jews because of these words. And we see that perpetual division from the religious crowd, just a divisiveness. Very, very simple um, thought this morning from this text. The text is so clear. Um, and I don't want to muddy it up with Mark's thoughts, but let me just break it down kind of word by word. And uh, the first thing I want to look at is these three words, the good shepherd, we see in verses 11 and 14. The good shepherd. Well, what, what do we see here? Number one, we see the word the. It is a definite article. In other words, it is saying that there is one unique shepherd, and he is Christ and Christ alone. So the shepherd is unique. The, the, the 23rd Psalm says, the Lord is my shepherd. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 20 says, says now may the God of peace who brought, who, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep. And we also see um, in 1 Peter chapter 2 and, and verse number 25, I'll read verse 24. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were straying like sheep, but now, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. And over in chapter 5 and verse 4 of First Peter, he says this, And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. And so he is the good shepherd. He is the only unique good shepherd, none other than Jesus Christ. He uses the word good though. 
And we need to understand what the word good means. Because I think when we understand what the word good means, and we understand that Jesus is the good shepherd, and what him being the good shepherd means, it helps us understand, I think, I think some things about us and the longings of our heart, and how Christ alone satisfies those longings. The word good um, means noble, wholesome, beautiful. Here's what Jesus is saying. I am the beautiful shepherd. I am the beautiful shepherd. That's contrasted with mean, foul, unattractive, and repulsive leaders like the, the Pharisees were. Jesus is saying that I'm good inwardly. I'm good in my character. I'm good outwardly. The way that I live is attractive and desirable. There is this innate godness and all that is in innate goodness and all that is in me and all that you see in me. And he is emphasizing his inherent goodness, his inherent righteousness, his inherent beauty. So uh, Jesus says, I am the beautiful, the good Shepherd. What does the word shepherd mean? We can look at Matthew chapter 9 and verse number 35 and Jesus is looking out beginning in verse 35, and he sees the Jewish people who are under the authority of the Pharisees, and he sees them worn out. They're worn out trying to please God. They're worn out trying to follow the rules. They're worn out chasing things that they never catch. By the way, when I am living under a religious system like the Pharisees, one of two things is going to happen. I'm going to get tired and quit, or I'm going to become a really good liar. Because none of us can live up to the standard of the Pharisees. None of, us can be, none of us can live up to the standard of a system that demands self-righteousness. And by the way, I've been doing this for a while, and I've looked at all of the different groups that have it figured out. And the rules have changed so many times through the years of what you need to do to get it right that my head spins because I can't keep up. So either you say, I give up. There's no way that I can do everything that I need to do to please God. And by the way, all God wants you to do is trust the one who has pleased him, which is his son. There's no way that I can do it. I quit or here's what happens. I fake it. I fake it. In a system where there is the pressure to perform and please God, there is no room to confess sin. And it is in the confession of sin in the community of brothers that we essentially find freedom from sin. There is something that is powerful about doing what 1 John chapter 1, verse 7 tells us. There's something powerful about understanding if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. We are liars. There's something about running to this one who is our advocate our advocate, and him pleading our case before a holy God on, on, on the basis of his pleasure to the Father, not ours. Us trusting him this morning. So Jesus is saying there, there's this system that you can't keep up with. Look, look at, he's looking out. Look at these people. They're worn out. They're beaten down. They can't, they can't do it all. And he has compassion. A true shepherd has compassion. A true shepherd is moved. A true shepherd has connection. We see in 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 2, he tells those who are under shepherds to shepherd the flock of God that, that are among you. In other words, there is this relational connection. True, a true shepherd like Jesus communicates. He's like, man, I'm communicating. I know them. They know me. I'm standing up and I'm walking into the middle of chaos and I'm walking into the middle of confusion where there are all different kinds of sheep with all different kinds of shepherds in, uh, in the, the sheepfold, and I call them by name, and they hear my voice. We saw that in verses 1 to 10. A shepherd has compassion. A shepherd is connected. A shepherd communicates with the sheep. A shepherd is willing to pay the price to protect the sheep. And Jesus says, I am the true and faithful shepherd. I am the true and faithful shepherd. So that is the good, the good shepherd. This is what Jesus wants us to see. This picture of the beautiful shepherd over and against these, these angry and contemptuous Pharisees that are constantly intimidating, constantly using fear, 
constantly pressuring, constantly putting more on people. That's why Jesus said, my, my yoke is easy and my burden is light because these people were used to walking around with the yoke and the burden of the Pharisees and, 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 and they were just losers and failures because they couldn't please God based on the Pharisaical rules. The good shepherd is different. When you look at the good shepherd, you don't say, I haven't pleased him. You don't, you don't look at him and say, I haven't done enough. You look at the good shepherd and you say he's beautiful because he laid down his life for me. He laid down his life for me. He didn't ask me to pay for my own sin. He paid for my sin and gave me life. The second thing is this. We see the good shepherd. What does the good shepherd do? Let me just uh, up front tell you the good shepherd is not a professional. The good shepherd is not a CEO. The good shepherd is not an academic or an intellectual. The good shepherd is not recognized based on his degrees. In fact, anyone who would have the title of a shepherd is not somebody that is highly esteemed in society. These are the, these are the lowliest of Society, a good shepherd is not ambitious or self-serving. A good shepherd is not demanding or contemptuous. Four things that we see in the text about a good shepherd. What does the good shepherd do? Number one, the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Jesus Christ has laid down his life for you and for me. Don't miss that. That is beautiful. What is it that makes Jesus beautiful? The fact that he is willing to lay down his life for you and for me. Now, we understand that this is a metaphor, the, the shepherd. There's, there are real shepherds there. These are real things that happen. But Jesus is saying, look at how the shepherd relates to the sheep and understand that this is metaphorically speaking of how I relate to you. A shepherd would generally not be called on to die for the sheep, although that might happen. A shepherd would constantly be called on to risk his life for the sheep. Let us understand, Jesus is not saying, I risk my life for the sheep. Jesus is saying, I laid down my life and died for the sheep. The word for in the text suggests sacrifice. The word for means there has been a death on behalf of someone else. Why would that be necessary? It would be necessary because sheep are defenseless. Defenseless. Sheep are in mortal danger. And if sheep are left to themselves, they will die. Can I just tell you, if you are left to yourself apart from Jesus Christ, the good shepherd, you will die in your sin. You will die in your sin. And there is no work that you can perform. There is no goodness that you can engage in. There is no beauty that you can become that is going to overcome your sin. Christ and Christ alone in his death is required as payment for your sin and my sin. It is by the shepherd's death that the sheep are saved. So the shepherd gives his life in the place of the sheep, in order that he can redeem them and bring them to safe, safety and nurture them and provide for them and love them. And this is beautiful. Jesus Christ is the good shepherd. He is the beautiful shepherd because he is willing to die to give the dying sheep life. That's why we sing this morning. And that's why, that's why when... The music starts and the words appear on the screen and the instruments begin to play that it really shouldn't be like pulling teeth or having to, to generate anything out of us. It ought to flow out of us because we see the beauty when we see the beauty of Jesus Christ. Beauty calls on us to just naturally innately erupt when we see beauty and when we see the death of Jesus Christ as payment for our sin, it ought to evoke something that would pour out of us if we understand what he has done. What do shepherds do? They lay down their life for the sheep. What does the good shepherd do? Secondly, what does the good shepherd do? He knows the sheep and is known by the sheep. They hear his voice, like I said, in a crowd, in chaos, in confusion. In other words, there is a connection between the shepherd and the sheep. 
That's important. I think two things that, that just jump out of this text at me are this issue of beauty, and I'll say more about that, and this issue of connection. The shepherd, the good shepherd, is connected to the sheep. There is this confident, peaceful connection. The, 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 the sheep know the shepherd, the shepherd knows the sheep, and the sheep know that they are not alone. Now, I don't know if you've ever thought much about connection or disconnection. I don't know if you've ever thought much about being disconnected relationally or being connected relationally. But here's what I will tell you, while you may not have thought much about it, and you may say, well, that's just some psychological terminology, some psychological gobbledygook. I don't believe in all of that stuff. I will tell you whether you believe in connection or disconnection or not, and you can study it from a psychological perspective, but I prefer to look at it from a biblical perspective. Whether you, whether you think about connection or not, or whether you understand connection or not, your life has been impacted exponentially by how you have established connections throughout your life, how you were, how you were connected to your parents, how, how you were connected to your children, how, how you are connected to your spouse. You see, we were created to be connected to God. We were created to be connected to each other. You say, well, where, where are you getting all, this, all of this stuff from? Um, let, let, me just, let me just say this, and I'll tell you where, where, I'm, where I'm getting it from. Um, to be disconnected is unhealthy. To be connected is healthy. Listen. To be unknown, and you say, where are you getting that from? I'm getting it right here from the text. Look at the text. It's in the text. I know these sheep. I know them. They know me. How do they know me? How do do I know them? They know me like I know the Father, and the Father knows me. And to know means we are connected. It's right here. It's right here. To be disconnected is to be unhealthy. To be connected is to be healthy. To be unknown is to be unhealthy. You say, what do you mean by unknown? To be, you're not famous, so you're not healthy. No. To be hiding. To have parts of your life that you are keeping in secret. To have parts of your life that you are not exposing and making known to those of, 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 of the body of Christ who are your brothers and sisters. It is very unhealthy to be disconnected. It is very unhealthy to be unknown. Most of us are unknown and most of us are disconnected. Most of us are alone. Most of us are lonely. And even the world recognizes that. They just don't recognize that Jesus is the answer. You say, well, where are you getting that from? How about the book of Genesis? How about Genesis 2.18? It is not good for a man to be alone. God said, I will make a helper suitable for him. What is the first thing that Adam said when he saw Eve? Anybody? Help me out. At last. Bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. This is somebody that I can be connected to. Right? Right? So so here's a guy, it is not good for a man to be alone. It is not good for a man to be disconnected. All of a sudden, God says, it's not good for a man to be disconnected. I'm going to create somebody he can connect to. He creates this woman and he says, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and cleave unto his wife. And they too shall become, what? One flesh, right? So they're connected. This is before sin. This is before the fall. The intent of of God is for us to be connected to him and to one another. That's what he's saying in the text. And he said, and they were both naked and unashamed. In other words, they were, you've heard me say this a hundred times at least, they were, they, were, they were fully known and fully accepted. This is the longing of our heart. The longing of our heart is to be connected. The longing of our heart is to be fully known. Genesis 3 blows it all to pieces. As soon as they sin, what do they do? They run from God. They run, they run into the, the forest or the trees or the, 
I don't know what they ran into, but there were some fig leaves out there. And what did they start doing as soon as they were disconnected from God because of their sin? They started hiding from God. They started covering themselves. Two things, we are disconnected and we don't want to be known. Next thing you know, God's having a conversation with them. What's going on? There is this disconnection between the man who said, oh my goodness. That's literally a Hebrew euphemism, bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. I'm now disconnected from her, and we're going to spend the rest of our life struggling to even get to know each other. So we see this issue of of connection and knowing and, and disconnection and isolation and being alone. Sin disconnects us from God and from each other. Listen carefully. Our deepest longing is to be fully known fully connected, to live unthreatened in that connection. Our deepest desire is to be fully known and fully connected and live unthreatened in that connection, to live without the threat of me doing something so that somebody is going to say, boom, I cut you off. You cross the line, our relationship is over. We live in that fear. We live in that fear. We were created, listen, for, I'm not going to say it right. I'm going to say it like it's spelled hesed. A good Hebrew grammarian grammarian would have some guttural sound to go with that. It's the ever, it's the everlasting. Can y'all say everlasting? Everlasting. You know what everlasting is? Everlasting means never ending. Everlasting means can't be broken. Right? So here, here, here we are. We, we long to, to be known and we long to be connected with an unthreatened connection and to, to live without fear that this relationship might end because we were created by God in our interior world to be in a relationship that was a relationship of everlasting, unbreakable love. Yet we know in Scripture that the saddest words in all of the Bible are found in Matthew chapter 7. While here in John chapter 10, we're seeing what Jesus is saying. I'm the good shepherd. I know my own. I'm connected to my own. I'm involved in my own. They know me. There is this connection here. But Jesus says in Matthew 7, 21, Depart from me, you works of iniquity. I never, what's the next word? I never knew you. I was never connected to you. Well, why are they coming to Jesus and saying, Hey, Jesus, what about me? Haven't I done many wonderful things in your name? Haven't I prophesied in your name? Haven't I done all these? Haven't I performed miracles in your name? And Jesus is like, Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. You you fell in with the Pharisees and thought you were connected to me, but you were not connected to me through that religious system. You didn't have a relationship with me. And so there is this disconnection that occurs. They thought they were connecting through works. They thought they were connecting through performance. And the only way, we could, only way that we can, can, can connect is through relationship. And so, who is the good shepherd? The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep, but the good shepherd knows the sheep and is known by the sheep, and the good shepherd is connected to the sheep, and if you are connected to the good shepherd, then the good shepherd has done what needs to be done, needs to be done, so that we can stay connected, so that we can stay known by him, and that we can know him. This is the beauty of the good shepherd. The third thing: what does the good shepherd do? The good shepherd gathers sheep. He gathers sheep, verse 16. That's what he's doing. He's gathering. He's like, I want to gather. I want to speak. I want you to hear me. I want you to know me. I want to know you. I want us to have this relationship. I want you to respond to me. I want you to, I want you to follow me. I want you to trust me. But there are other sheep. He's talking about you and me. He's not talking about the Jews. He's talking about the Gentiles. There are other sheep. And I want to gather them in too. And I want us to be, here's what he's saying. I want us to be one flock and I want, to, I want them to have this one shepherd. Jesus is talking about himself. 
And so, over and against the Pharisees, Jesus is a gatherer. Jesus is a unifier. Jesus is one who wants his sheep to be together, and he is constantly pursuing sheep. He wants to bring them together in a relational, essential, tangible, beautiful, supernatural unity, and the the miracle of the church is that in a world of chaos and in a world of confusion and in a world of of division, in, in a world where everything, everywhere, I don't care what Twitter feed you're on, I don't care what Facebook post you look at, there's so many people that are so stirred up and everybody's just standing there on their Facebook post and standing there on their Twitter feed and everybody's divided because you don't see it the way they see it or you don't do it the way they do it. You don't use the, the version of the Bible that they use or maybe you want to bring your kids into church and maybe you want your kids to go to kids' church. Let's fight over it. Let's fight over it. Right? It's just out there. It's just out there. And Jesus is like, man, the thing, the thing that lets people know that I'm among the people is the fact that we love one another. John 13. And so Jesus is the gatherer of the sheep. And then finally, what does the good shepherd do? The good shepherd conquers sin. He says, I lay down my life and I'm going I'm to rise up again. He's, he's telling us here in the text that we have relationship with him through his finished work, not through our effort, through his finished work, his death in dying. He paid our sin debt, removed our sin. We can now walk into the presence of the holy God because of our advocate, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. Jesus rose from the grave, victorious over sin, giving us life. And so what does the good shepherd do? The good shepherd conquers sin. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The good shepherd knows the sheep and is known by the sheep. The good shepherd gathers the sheep. The good shepherd conquers sin. The beautiful shepherd. Jesus Christ is beautiful. The third thing we see is the bad shepherd or the Pharisees. That's who he's talking about. He tells them they're not shepherds at all. They're hirelings, but these are the religious leaders. These are, are the institutional guys. These are the anti-Jesus guys. They've got Jesus in their sights, and they want him out of their way. And here's what he says about the bad shepherds. First of all, he says in the text that they are not shepherds. They do not have the character, the commitment, the love, or the beauty of the good shepherds. You can clearly see if you understand the good shepherd, if you understand the beautiful shepherd, if you see Jesus, if you see Jesus, Jesus. There is this stark contrast between Jesus and the Pharisees. They just look different. They sound different. They are different. They're not shepherds. He says they're hirelings. They're doing it for the money. They're doing it for, uh, to work nine to five. They're doing it so that they can make their lives better, not the life of the sheep better. They're doing it, he says in the text, for the sake of self-preservation because when danger approaches, they're not going to risk their life for these dumb sheep. They're, they're getting out of town. I'm out of here. They're going to flee. The wolves are going to come in. The wolves are going to devour the sheep. The wolves are going to scatter the sheep. The bad shepherd leaves the sheep defenseless. He leaves them in danger. He leaves them mauled and murdered and scattered. He leaves them in tragedy. The bad shepherds scatter and scatter and scatter. The bad shepherds care nothing for the sheep. They leave the sheep to die on their own, alone and disconnected. And when we come to even verse, the, the last verse there in uh, John chapter that I, that I read, 19, then there was again a division among them. The, the bad shepherds are divisive. And, and here's, here's what we need to understand. R- religion. I think it was John MacArthur who said, um, one, of the, one of the worst things in the world is to have um, someone who is in a position of authority and truth teaching to teach things that aren't true. He didn't say it exactly like that. I'm paraphrasing. When, when you've got somebody who's in a position of authority like a pastor or a Pharisee, a religious leader, a religious professor, a religious author, and th- this person is is standing as someone who believes this, 
and teaches this, but they, they don't teach it the way it's said. That what happens is it establishes an, an emotional and even an intellectual connection, and people can be easily led, a, led astray when they just trust this person because of the position that they're in as opposed to verify, verifying what they say through the text of Scripture. But the system was set up by the Pharisees so that they were in complete authority. And so you, you've got to understand these people that are running around from place to place trying to do everything that the Pharisees tell them to do really do believe that they're trying to please God because they they've believed a bunch of, of rules and axioms and they're killing themselves. The Pharisees had hooks in their hearts and in their minds and they were manipulating and they were guilting and they were shaming and they were intimidating and they were offering false hope. And so this was a very powerful thing in the lives of these people. It's, it's, not, it's not an easy thing to say, oh, wow, bad shepherds. But here comes Jesus on the scene and walks right into the middle of the bad shepherds who really didn't care if a blind man got healed, who really did want to see a woman caught in adultery stoned. She was in sin. And Jesus walks right in the middle of it and says, I'm the beautiful shepherd. And you can tell a great difference between me, Jesus, and the Pharisees. He wants us to understand that. So that is, that is the text. Let me ask you as I close this morning um, to um, evaluate yourself. Um, if You may disagree with something I've said, uh, and uh, if, if I've said something wrong, let me be the first to apologize. If I've said something in the wrong way, let me be the first to apologize. If there's something about me that is distracting you this morning, let me be the first to apologize. I don't want to stand up here and be, be a distraction. But what I would like for us to do is we just kind of calm down for a second is look at our own hearts. Could, could, could you in this moment take a second and evaluate yourself and your life and ask yourself what is in your heart? Evaluate your faith. Evaluate your relationship with Jesus Christ. Evaluate yourself. What do you see when you see him? What do you see? Do you see somebody that's maybe blessed other people and hasn't blessed you? Do you see somebody that's put you through hardship and trouble when he could have prevented it? Or do you see a beautiful shepherd who laid down his life for you? What do you see as you evaluate your heart this morning? Evaluate your place of connectedness. Evaluate your assessment of beauty. I would secondly say, what is driving you, you religiously? What is driving you spiritually? A lot of times our religious positions come out of the problems in the culture, the news feed. What's happening in the culture? There's a lot going on in the culture. And so all of these bad things are happening in the culture. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to find something in the Bible that's going to put me in, in this adversarial role with the culture or the news feed or what's going on politically. What is it that is, that is driving you religiously or spiritually? could be politics. It could be some pharisaical relationship. It could be, again, discernment blogs are massive. I've read a plenty of them myself, and they exhausted me. <laughs> and then they, they, they would soundbite people, and I would listen to the soundbite, and I would think, that guy is a, a fraud and a, a liar, and a, 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 he's... And then I would go listen to the whole sermon and I would say, oh my goodness. Is divisiveness driving you? Or is the good shepherd driving you? Are you in a pharisaical conundrum of thinking that you can please God? Are you in a pharisaical la-la land of thinking that you in your self-efforts are pleasing God. And if you are, if you are, man, if you've got it, and boy, you're holy, and man, you're doing it right. You don't need, you don't need an advocate when you stand before God. You just tell God how great you are. You don't need a shepherd, a good shepherd, to lay down his life for you. 
Or are you trusting God? What is driving you spiritually? Do you just need, you just need better rules? You need more discipline? You need more contempt? You need more shame? You need to try harder? You need to be better? Or do you need a good shepherd? This is the context that we're reading from this morning. Are you exhausted? Are you critical? Do you, do you know more about what you're against than what you're for? Do you readily see the faults and inconsistencies of others? Are you getting it right? And if people knew what you knew and did what you did, they could get it right too. Is your theological friend group getting smaller and smaller? Is it becoming more and more exclusive because there are fewer and fewer and fewer of you that really know how to please God. I met a guy years ago, years ago, and they were into, and I hope I don't want to offend anybody, but they were into Gothardism. And Bill Gothard had convinced them that, that they needed to have as many kids as they could possibly have. And I, I'm all for a big family. We wanted 12. After we had four, my wife said, you have the fifth one, and I'll have, you know, I'll have the next seven. And we just couldn't figure it out. Um, we didn't have all the technology that we have today, but I guarantee you I wouldn't have tried even if we did. So don't hear me saying I'm against big families, but here's, here's what I'm telling you. These people had this connection between, I'll tell you what, if we're going to please God, this is the way we've got to do it. This is the way we've got to do it. And this husband was putting this tremendous pressure on his wife. If we're going to please God, this is the way we've got to do it. This is the way we've got to do it. And so as, as, right after they would have a child, as soon as they were able, boom, 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 here comes another child. With, within within you know, just a, a brief period of time, and she kept having miscarriage after miscarriage after miscarriage after miscarriage after miscarriage to the point that she had a nervous breakdown. And it was all fueled by the fact that I must not be doing it right. And God, God must not be pleased with me. And, 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 and that's all born out of a failure to understand the good shepherd and to think somehow that it is through my effort. And if I can perform well enough, I can please God. And if and I can get it right and God can bless me as opposed to, I'm going to trust God. I'm going to trust God. Two, two words before I, I just give one final statement. I want you to think about connection. All of us longs for connection. But all of us is living generally disconnected. I remember years ago, that was probably 1990, we had... Three kids at the time, and I was pastoring in Fairburn, Georgia. And um, man, I was man, I was making everybody happy. I was running to hospitals, and I'd go sit. At, somebody'd have surgery, I'd sit in the hospital all day long. I'd leave my little wife at home with three kids, and I was doing that. And everybody in the church is like, "Where did you find that pastor?" And I'm like, "Yes, let me try harder. Let me neglect my family more." And one day I walked in, and my wife was standing there. And she was, she was dressed up. The kids were dressed up. And she was holding her hands. And she looked at me and she said, she said, we're leaving you. I'm like, you know, it's one of those men in skin bracer moments. She said, you don't care anything about us. Whew. I changed for a couple of weeks. What was she saying? She was saying, we're not connected. We're not connected. You're right out here trying to satisfy some connection with all these people. And you're right out here trying to please all these people. And these folks are like, go, 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 go. And I'm like, yes, yes, I can do it. Hey, hey. Not connected to anybody. Not connected to anybody. I didn't learn any lessons last week. I was riding along, found out that a member of our body has cancer, found out that a dear friend had died, um, gotten some communication from some folks that wasn't particularly gratifying. And I was just, I was just out. I'm riding down the road, and my wife is talking, and uh, it hit me. I've been married 43 years, and I said to her, I am so sorry. <laughs> I said, you don't have a husband. You don't have a husband. 
because we're not connected. We're not connected. Jesus doesn't just want us to sleep together. Jesus doesn't just want us to have kids together. He doesn't want us to set up house together. He doesn't want us to save money together. He wants us to know each other. He wants us to be connected, bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. He wants us to communicate with one another. And the, the, the driving force behind that is our connection to him. You see, our longing for connection is satisfied in the good shepherd. Every one of us longs to connect. Whatever you're experiencing in your marriage or with your kids or with your parents is all rooted in our inability to connect many times. Now, don't get me wrong. Sin disconnects us, but please understand. Think about this issue of connection. But Jesus came and lived and died so that we could be connected to God the Father and so that we could be connected to each other. And the longing for connection that exists in our soul is ultimately a longing for Him and can only be satisfied in Him. Why do we jump in and out of relationships? Why do we have so much trouble getting along with people? Because there is a desire for connection that seems unrepairable. And so we go find another relationship and establish another connection that gets broken. And we find another relationship and another connection that gets broken. Or we just give up altogether. The second one is the issue of beauty. Jesus is the beautiful shepherd. All of us love beauty. As I've gotten older... And I'm driving, I find my mouth comes open. My head goes down. Anybody else relate to that? Anybody? You're too young. Stop. Stop. So we're driving down the road the other day, and my wife says, she said, if you'll, if you'll close your mouth, she said, I'll do some sit-ups. I've kept my mouth closed for two weeks. I keep asking her, how do those sit-ups coming along? You say, why? Because, because we love beauty. I'm not saying I'm beautiful. I'm saying she's beautiful. But we love beauty. We love things that are attractive. We have, we have cars that we think are beautiful. We have houses that we think are beautiful. We have, we have recreation things that we... And I'm not criticizing any of these things. How many of you mowed your lawn and when you got done, you're like, man, that looks good. There's something in us that appreciates beauty, right? You, you look. For, how, how many of you are, are, are newly married or dating somebody and you're like, this is the most beautiful person in the world? And there's something about us that appreciates beauty. There's something about us that wants to be beautiful. Um, my, my granddaughter, she's, she's, she wears braces on her feet, and so we went to a, 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 a play, and it was, it was intermission, and we were going to get up and go get some popcorn and... Um, and she stood between the chairs. She said, Gigi, come here. And she had on some pants. She said, would you pull my pants, the, the legs of her britches? She said, will you pull them down over my braces? And she'll wear her braces the rest of her life. Will you pull them down over my braces? Why? She wanted to look normal. She wanted to look beautiful, right? We, we all... We all, ladies, you got up and you, you, didn't, you, didn't just, you didn't just go to their dirty clothes basket or the dryer and just, just close your eyes, reach in, pull something out. You guys didn't do that. We look well-coordinated. Y'all are beautiful people this morning. We understand beauty and we love beauty. We want to be beautiful and we want to experience beauty. And Jesus Christ satisfies our longing for beauty. Heaven is going to be a beautiful place. All of the beauty that we see here is a mere shadow of what beauty is going to be like in heaven. There is something that just grabs us. I met this guy at a, at a train stop, and I'm almost done. Uh, we were going to catch the train from Arvada, California to Denver. I wouldn't suggest that you do that. A um, lot of different people in that 30-minute ride get on and off the train. And if you're unarmed, you probably don't want to be on the train. But we're riding along, and I see this guy. He's, he's tall. He's, he's probably 60. He's got all of his hair cut off on the side, and he's got some hair on the top, and he's got on some weird-looking tennis shoes, and he's as friendly as he can be, and we start talking, and I find out his name's Curtis, and I find out that he's got a Ph.D. I find out he's retired from the military. He worked at the Pentagon. I said, what are you doing now, Curtis? He said, 
drive a tractor trailer. Why do you do that? Because as I drive across the country, I'm able to just see the beauty. I'm able to see the beauty. And he sends me pictures. He sends me pictures of all the beauty that he sees. There is a longing in all of us for beauty. And that beauty, that longing for beauty is satisfied in Jesus Christ. That's why he is the beautiful shepherd who wants to be connected to the sheep. The connection and the beauty that cries out from your soul that you desperately long for and are trying to create and fill in so many different ways can only be found in Christ alone. There are all these systems, there are all these voices, there are all these gods, but there is only one who is the good, beautiful shepherd. And he says, come, come, come. Just follow me. Just follow me. Trust me. Trust me. Let's pray together. Open our eyes that we might see. Open our eyes that we might understand just how exhausted we are from our failed connections, from our relational disappointments. Open our eyes that we might see that we have these placebos of beauty that take everything out of us and give nothing to us. That cause us to realize, Lord, that this longing for connection was given to us by you. And that this longing for beauty was given to us by you. So that when we hear you stand up and say, I am the beautiful shepherd we would look at you and say, wow, I want to be with you. I want to follow you. I want to trust you. And I pray that that would just grip our hearts today. And I pray, Lord, that right now, if there's someone who is looking for beauty and connection in everything that can't satisfy I pray they would see you this morning in the midst of the chaos in the midst of beaten down sheep in the midst of bad shepherds they would see you in all of your beauty in all of your compassion in all of your provision in all of your protection in all of your light in all of your glory in all of your truth I pray that we would see you today and say I'm going to follow the good shepherd. In Jesus' name I pray.